Amen. Well, I'm going to get you to turn to two places tonight. I'll turn to Matthew 26 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> we'll be in Matthew 26 first, so if you, maybe if you just want to start there. And... Glad for the opportunity to observe the Lord's Supper. You know, it's such an important thing, and it's something that we don't take lightly at all, but we're commanded to do it. And so I want to read to you a few verses, talk to you about the Lord's Supper itself first, and then... Uh, we always look at the fourfold look at the Lord's Supper, why we do it, how we do it, and uh, it's so important. And, you know, the, um, the Lord's Supper is, it's a memorial. It was instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, many would say on the eve of his passion, it was the night before he died, uh, the night before he went through the trial and the suffering and all of those things, and it, and it symbolizes his death and his blood atonement for our sin. That's why Jesus Christ did it. That's why he instituted the Lord's Supper. And it happened in Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> and uh, obviously, the religious leaders plotted to kill Jesus. Mary anointed Jesus for the burial. And then Jesus told the disciples to prepare a, a last meal. Now, I didn't necessarily know that it was the last meal, but Jesus told them to prepare the upper room. They were going to have a meal together. And at that meal, Jesus told them that he was going to be betrayed and, of course, you know, the Passover was something that they celebrated all the time. Uh, every year it was something that was celebrated since they came out of Egypt. And so Jesus, obviously, in keeping with the law, uh, celebrated the Passover. And there in the upper room, in Matthew chapter 26, in verse number 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. They took the cup. And gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to stay in this passage for the rest of the, of the night for the most part. There's, there's one or two other passages that I'm going to have you look at, but there's so much uh, that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about the Lord's Supper. And and how it should be done, and why it should be done. And so the Apostle Paul plainly tells us that the Lord's Supper is a memorial. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, This do in remembrance of me. It's a memorial. Why do you do something in remembrance of anybody? It's there to remember them. Every year, uh, we have, there's a police memorial week. And on one of those days during that week, we have a police memorial service, and we remember all of the officers that are fallen, all the officers that gave their lives. Why do we do that? It's to remember what they did, what they sacrificed. And of course, their sacrifice is, is tremendous, it's exemplary, but it does nothing in comparison to what Jesus Christ sacrificed for us. And because he did that, we should be doing this as a memorial. He talks about the fact that it's a picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 26. And we're going to read through some of these verses in just a couple minutes. But he says in verse number 26, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. It's a picture. It's a picture. Obviously, we're not literally eating the body of Christ. We're not literally drinking the blood of Christ, although some would say that that's what it becomes when you eat it. Uh, that's a Catholic doctrine. It's called transubstantiation, and that's the idea that the moment you drink the, the juice, it becomes the blood of Christ. The moment you eat the, the bread, it becomes the body of Christ, and there's nothing found in Scripture that would back that up at all. It's not. It's, it's a picture. It's a memorial. That's why we do it. So what are the requirements for taking the Lord's Supper? There's, there's, there's three. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you go back just a page or so in your Bible, 
It's that the individual must be born again. You must be saved in order to partake of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life, right? And so when we are all partakers of that one bread, he's talking about the fact that we have actually accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Of course, that, that the gospel is found all the way throughout the New Testament, the fact that we must accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. But in order to take part in the Lord's Supper, we must be born again. The second thing, in fact, turn over to Acts chapter 2. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians. We're coming back to that. But Acts chapter 2, and of course... The whole, um, a lot of Acts chapter 2 is, is dealing with Pentecost. 3,000 people came and got saved and baptized and added to the church. And that's the second requirement is that the, indiv in, the individual has to be a baptized member of the church. Uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in Prayers. Now turn back over to 1 Corinthians, this time to chapter 5. Chapter 5. And there's, there's three different <clears throat> types of, um, I don't know if you wanted to call it accessibility with church membership as far as, and certainly that's one of the privileges of church membership is to be able to partake in the Lord's Supper. But there's, there, are, there are three ways there is closed communion, basically meaning that <clears throat> only a member of that particular church can take communion with that church. There is open communion. That means basically anybody can take communion that wants to. And then there's close communion. And that's, that's what we hold to. And that is the idea that if you are saved and you are baptized and you are in good standing, meaning that you are right before the Lord, then you can partake of the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member of this church to be able to do that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11 says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. What is he talking about? He's not saying you can't go to lunch with that person. He's not saying, you know, that you shouldn't have him over to your house, which all of those things, there are different things that, that, um, that do talk about that, that, that when somebody is, is in open sin, you ought to shun them with the hopes that they'll come back to Jesus Christ. They'll get right with God. But what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is you shouldn't eat with them. You shouldn't partake of the Lord's Supper with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn back over a few pages, and we're, um, we're going to kind of focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for a little while. But verse number 20 says this, When you come together there, uh, therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Wherefore, verse, verse 33, jump a few verses up, My brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. It's, it, it is made to be a gathering of individuals who are saved and baptized and part of the church. And it's not so you can fill up, you know, this is not a whole meal here, obviously, and you've all done the Lord's Supper before. It's not so that you can fill up on the bread. It's not so you can fill up on the, on the, on the juice. It's not for that. It's just done as a remembrance. If you're hungry, eat at home. If you're thirsty, drink at home. That's what he says here. But then the, the third requirement for taking the Lord's Supper is that an individual must be in fellowship with the Lord. 
That involves striving to live in obedience to the Word of God and, and, then, and then carefully confessing your sins. Now, it's not that we have to confess our sins to a priest or something like that. Bill offered me $100 this afternoon if I'd forgive his sins for him, and I almost took it, but he can't, I can't forgive Bill's sins, right? It's nothing that a priest can do. Who, 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 what man can forgive somebody's sins? It's not that. It's that we ought to confess our sins to Christ. And I've talked about this several times before. I think it's such a wonderful thing that God did here is, number one, commanding us to take the Lord's Supper, but then, number two, commanding us not to take the Lord's Supper with sin in our life. So here we're, we're required to take it, so if we don't take it, we're in disobedience, but then we're required to be right with Him. We're required to come to Him with a clean heart to take the Lord's Supper, and if we don't do that, then we're in disobedience. So it, it works hand in hand. Yes, we're doing this as a memorial, but you better not do that memorial without being right with God. So the two have to go hand in hand, and it's just it's a great plan that God obviously instituted. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse number 27, this, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, unworthily means you're not saved, you're not baptized. But it also means what he says in verse number 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, many are dead. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. You see what God is saying here? Examine yourself. See what's in your life, and you better not take this unworthily. You better not take it with things in your life that are unconfessed before God. He says, you want to know why those people are sick, why they're weak, why some people have died? It's because they took the Lord's Supper unworthily. And then he follows it up with this. For if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't have to be judged. In other words, God will judge us for taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. This is not something that we just flippantly do every week. It's not, and, and I'm not going to condemn a church that does it, but there are church, churches who have the Lord's Supper every Sunday night at the beginning of the service or at the end of the service. They're, they're trying to do their best to, to follow the Lord's command to do this in remembrance of Him. But when we just get to the point where we're just doing it to, doing, to do it, then I think we end up taking the Lord's Supper unworthily because we're not thinking about why we're doing it. It's not a sacred thing, and this is a very sacred thing. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to read to you 1 John chapter 1, a few verses here. And by the way, 1 John, 1 John was written to Christians. We use verse, verse, chapter 1, verse 9 often. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We use that when we're trying to lead somebody to Christ. And it's a great verse for that because it fits for everybody. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us. But this was written to Christians. He says this in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That's not talking about somebody that's unsaved. That's talking about a Christian that has sin in their life. Verse number seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar. 
and his word is not in us. Because the truth is, even as Christians, we fail. We try not to, hopefully. Hopefully you're doing everything you can to live a life that's pure and clean before God. But the truth is, we're humans. And we still live with our flesh. And we're going to fail. We're never going to reach that state of sinless perfection until we get to heaven. And because of that, we have sins that, not, that need to be confessed. And only most of the time, only you and God know what those are. And only God is the one that can forgive those sins. And he's the only one that you can confess those sins to. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to have an invitation before we do the Lord's Supper and give you an opportunity to come and make sure those things are right between you and God. Because, boy, this is something that's so serious. If it's not right and you drink it unworthily, God has to judge us. He said that that's what he was going to do. Now, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I always like to end with this because it's such a great um, look at what the Lord's Supper is all about. The fourfold look at the Lord's Supper. And, of course, the first part is the backward look. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, And when he had given thanks, he brake it. And said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The backward look, it causes us as believers to look back at the cross of Christ and re be reminded about what he did for us. We sang all these different songs that talk about the blood of Christ. He was wounded for me. He died on the cross for me. He did it for me. And we're not just, oh, this is a great time to make sure that we're right with God. It is, but we're also doing this in remembrance of him. We're looking back to remember what he did for us. None of us were there, and so sometimes it's hard to picture what he went through. But he went through everything, including death for us. It was a tremendous, tremendous sacrifice that he gave for us, that he did in taking our place. And so we have the backward look, but... Also, we see in verse uh, 25, after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. It's to look around. We should be reminded that we're part of a family. He's talking to all of us. That's one of the, uh, the one of the, one of the, uh, beautiful things about the language in the King James version of the Bible. You know, oh, what about all these these and thous and yees and all that kind of stuff? And everybody wants to get rid of those things. But do you know that the way the Bible uses the ye and the you and all this stuff, when he says you, he's talking to an individual. When he says ye, that's a plural word, and that's talking to all of us. And, and that's just, I mean, all of that is just part of the beauty of a language that is expressive, and that's the language that's used in the King James Version of the Bible. Ye do show his death till you come. Ye do, ye do. It's talking to all of us, because we are a body of believers in Jesus Christ. Then we have the forward look in verse number 26. We looked at it already, but for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Jesus Christ is coming back someday. And I'm looking forward to the day that he's going to come back. But that's a forward look. It's a look ahead of what Jesus Christ is going to do. We look back and we saw what he did, but he promised us that he's coming back. And that's something that, we're sh that we should be looking forward to. And that's part of the Lord's Supper. You do show the Lord's death till he come. We're looking forward to that day when Jesus Christ comes back. He's going to return. And, and we have to be mindful that we need to be ready at all times for the fact that he is coming back. 
Could you say this evening, tonight, right now, that you're ready for Jesus Christ to come back this very moment? Or are there things that you need to get right between him and you? Because if you're not ready for Christ to come back, then you're not ready to take the Lord's Supper either. But that's, a, that's one of the things that we should be looking forward to is the coming of Jesus Christ and to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. And lastly, we see in verse number 28, the inward look. And we read these verses already. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. That inward look causes us as believers to look within ourselves and to judge our spiritual condition before the Lord. I, I, I want to be right with him. I sure want him to be pleased with me. The Lord's Supper is, is just a reminder to us as believers of the glorious sacrifice by which we are redeemed unto God forever. We're going to have a time of invitation before we partake of the, the bread and the cup, and this is something very serious that, that we do before God. We're commanded to do it, but we're commanded not to take it unworthily. And I believe that God did it that way to give us a time to make sure that we're getting things right with God. Because, you know, you know how life gets. You, you get busy and, you know, you, you have your, your Bible reading and your prayer and things like that. But sometimes we don't have that moment where we stop and just really get things right with God. And that's what this is for. That's what, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about, to make sure that we stop and get those things right with God. And that's what I want to give you an opportunity to do right now. So as, as the piano plays, we're going to have an invitation and every, every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. But you don't necessarily have to come forward to the altar. But if you take just a few minutes and make sure that your heart is right with God. Make sure that you're clean before God. I don't want to see any of us have to be judged by God because we're taking this unworthily. So if you want to come forward at the altar, you can come forward and kneel at the altar. If you want to do it there at your seat, you're more than welcome to do it there as well. But let's just make sure that our hearts are right before God.